Welcome to Help From Future Self. Hey, what's happening, Archons? Welcome to another episode of Help From Future Self. It's a conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends. My name is Scuzzy Gruen, also known as Alex, and I am joined this week by two Keyforge pals, one old and one new. We've got my buddy, my coach. It's Boulevard Paper Fight. What's happening, Blake? Hey, what's going on, man? And a returning guest to the podcast, but it's my first time getting to record with them. Logotarian Luke is here with us today. Luke, welcome back. Hey, everybody. Happy to be here. So you previously joined the podcast to tell folks all about the philosophy of Lean Forge, which was an episode that I absolutely loved listening to. I loved hearing your thoughts and your philosophies around it, and I'm super excited to have you back on the show so that we can talk about what I would say is a fairly contentious topic in the world of Keyforge. Are you ready to talk some Brobnar? Oh, I'm ready. <laughs> I saw your Google document. I know you're ready. Uh, but before <laughs> we get to that, uh, Blake, you participated in the Shadow Worlds tournament over the course of the weekend, and you had some thoughts and some ideas that you wanted to, to share about that. So for folks who don't know, Shadow Worlds was something that was put together um, to sort of mimic the, of course, now postponed Keyforge Worlds event, um, where folks who had uh, uh, qualified to be at Worlds could sort of participate in an online tournament to, as sort of like, a, a, I guess, a shadow replacement for it. And Blake, you were one of the folks who was going to be heading down there with your team. What was it like to play Shadow Worlds online? Oh, it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was great to have the community get to come together. And it's uh, really fantastic that uh, Grant and Eric and Jared and Jason all took the time to make this happen, as well as um, uh, Duncan, who is the head judge normally at the, the vault tours and whatnot. He was there as a judge people could talk to and someone else. Um, I actually didn't know them personally. Uh, I think it was like Just Blinking was their name online. And so it was great to have just that support and community uh, come together for this. And it was just great that so many people came. I think it was like 260 players total came. Oh, wow. So it was a it was a big tournament and it was a lot of fun. And it was a team event, which is kind of what I wanted to talk about because a team, team event IRL is, is very different from a team event online because IRL you can look mm -hmm. over and see but you have to like literally look over and get their attention and things like that. Where when you're playing online, each team had their own private chat channel within the KIP server on discord. So we could, we were literally always talking to each other the whole time. And I felt that was like a gift and a curse because uh, in one game, I definitely spent too much time consulting my teammates. And uh, I actually, there was a, a kind of a, a misleading time posted. So like we thought the game was ending sooner than it was. Um, so or later than it was, I mean, so I thought I had more time. I'm like, wait a second. So uh, it didn't make a difference in the game, but I, I leaned a little too hard on on being able to consult teammates. Plus, it was a new experience being able to like talk to your teammates that way and consult them on uh, certain lines of play you want to make or houses you wanted to call based on what the board state was. So um, that was a really interesting aspect of the tournament. Mm hmm. I mean, I, I was just blown away by the amount of effort that went to putting it all together. Um, were you happy with your sort of deck selection? Did you use the same strategy you were planning to use for the actual Worlds tournament, or did you switch it up for Shadow Worlds? Oh, I, I completely switched it up. I, I didn't want to bring those decks to Shadow Worlds. Part of the reasons is one of the decks I'm playing belongs to Jupiter, and Jupiter wasn't on my team. Uh, it was our friend Toby locally, and then our friend Ryan from Seattle, who was uh, just on the show the other week. 
So, um, yeah, he, we were a team and uh, it was a lot of fun us to get to jam together. But I pivoted completely. I, I brought a, a bait deck and then I brought two decks that were from Worlds Collide that basically had a similar aspect. Um, and I made sure they both had a key cheat. One was Obsidian Forge, a transporter platform deck that also had like a sub theme of going Lord Invidious, Caller of Subordination. Uh, and then my I know that deck, deck. Yeah, you know that deck. And then the, the other deck was my uh, my very first Worlds Collide deck, which uh, is a little bit more well-rounded, controlly, and has a great way of pulling off an Imperial Forge for the win a lot of the times. ton of archiving and cycling uh, with Mimic Gel in favor of Rex. So you're really able to like copy abilities that exist. Um, and then I brought my my third deck, which was my bait deck, and it worked out perfectly. It was a triple control the week deck, and it did not fail to be chosen to be banned every time so it worked out really well <laughs> and uh i actually like after my first round um luke was asking me what decks i brought and then uh, when i sent it to them to him uh i asked him i was like hey which one would you play first because he knew he knew exactly like he he saw right away what i was trying to he's like this one's banned and then he's like you got these two and i was like yep and so he he said something differently than what i originally went with and Luke, why don't you give a little bit of insight to your logic behind why you said I should play a certain deck in a certain order? Because I thought it was, I was thinking that. And then when you said it, it like basically confirmed my thoughts. Yeah, totally. Um, when it comes to triad, I was, and looking at, at Blake's two decks, I was thinking even back to my triad experience back in Vegas, which Blake, uh, we ended up playing each other, um, uh, is and correct me if I'm wrong, Blake, the rule was once you pick a deck, you cannot switch even if you lose the first round. Is that right? Yeah, that was the same as Vegas. It was the same rules on here just because of the uh, the coding, I think. It was just a logistics thing here. But yeah, that's the one they went with as well. Right, right, right. So when it comes to picking a deck to play first, knowing that if you lose your first game, you still have to play with it. And I was looking at Blake's uh, decks. I was thinking, which of these two decks have the most outs? Or uh, play the most consistently, whereas if your opponent comes in and, and uh, has a hot game and high rolls you, um, then you're going to be stuck to that deck that uh, that may not have as many outs or have as much amber control. So between t- the two decks, I said, Blake, I think you should go with this one. It's just a little bit, it seems a little bit more consistent, has some board control, amber control that if your first game doesn't go well, then I think you may be able to pull pull back in that second game. And it was honestly great advice. Like, that's what I was kind of thinking, too. Um, my other one I had more experience with that I originally led with. But the other one, like you said, it had more outs. And I thought it would be able to to pull off things. And honestly, I hadn't played it a ton. And I hadn't played it in a while a lot. So I really enjoyed getting to play a deck that I didn't have a lot of like experience with and get the reps in that tournament format and really start to discover it. And as I went deeper, I felt the deck really hummed. And I'm I'm really looking forward to playing that deck more now. Very cool to hear about your experience with that tournament. I'm hoping that we'll see some more large-scale tournaments uh, while we wait for real IRL uh, organized play to be a thing that we can participate again. But we are here today to talk about a house that is very dear and near to me, or uh, very close to my heart. Uh, We're here to talk about Brobnar. Uh, Luke, we alluded to it earlier, but uh, you've got a lot of thoughts about Brobnar, and I think sort of a central thesis to your, your thinking about Brobnar why don't we just start off by talking about that a little bit? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, so uh, when Blake asked me if I wanted to come and talk about Brobnar, I was super excited. I will say, uh, ironically, my name is Logotarian Luke, um, but I'm talking about Brobnar, which is funny. Um, I would say that uh, I love the theme 
of Logos. Um, and uh, But I really, really enjoy playing Brobnar. So that's why I got super excited about this. Um, so kind of something I was I was putting together with some of the folks in the Minnesota Archons. I'm from Minneapolis, so there's a, a bunch of us. We kind of all thought together and collaborated on this Google Doc together. Um, kind of the central thesis that we came up with was uh, through aggressively large creatures and the core mechanic of fighting, Brobnar has had the most consistent refinement of its house identity from set to set. Um, I'll read that one more time. Through aggressively large creatures and the core mechanic of fighting, Brobnar has had the most consistent refinement of its house identity from set to set. Uh, what I mean by that, and maybe some cards that could be a helpful example, is I just think of uh, when it comes to creatures, you start with a creature like Valdir in Call the Archons. Um, six power creature, uh, it can add two extra power when attacking a creature on a flank. Call the Archons evolves into an even bigger creature in Lull Up the Titanic, right? Um, an even bigger one. And then going into Worlds Collide, you think of the mega creatures. You think of NARP, these even bigger creatures uh, that hit the board um, when you think of Brobnar. Or even just when it comes to the uh, fighting fighting mechanic, you think of Crump, um, a six-power creature in Call the Archons, that uh, whenever you destroy creature, then they lose one amber. In, then that kind of evolves into Groke, five-power creature, but it has the keyword of fight, and it has the same effect. Um, and then some action cards or some other different... Another example would be the card of Anger. You play it, ready and fight with a friendly creature, into uh, the card, like, into the fray. You play it, and then um, whenever a creature fights, it readies itself again after that. And then even into Worlds Collide, you think of a card like Alaka, um, so after a creature fights, that creature enters uh, enters in ready. So you kind of see this evolution of um, consistently large creatures throughout each set, and then a really narrowing in on the core mechanic of fighting um, from set to set. Very, very true. Um, I think one of the things that's kind of interesting to me is one of the first lessons I learned about Keyforge is Keyforge is a race, it's not a fight. And so instantly, and that's like a good piece of advice, but it's one that almost is misleading when it comes to Brobnar, because people hear that and they go, well, why do I want to play the fight house? Why don't I want to play the fastest possible house like Untamed or Shadows and Coda? And that's kind of where the idea of Brobnar as being a main house comes in, especially in Coda. I found that they had like fighting was really useful for them to do because it's board control against your opponent. But they also had a lot of tools in Coda that allowed you to just sort of like maintain game state while you're saving up that big shadows turn or that big disc turn or that big logos turn. You know, what are your thoughts on sort of Brobnar as a main house? Oh, I, I love Brobnar as a main house. It's definitely my, my top decks. My favorite decks have, have a uh, Brobnar as the main house, lots of creatures, some nice complementing artifacts. And then uh, I think what's critical and what's key with a nice Brobnar deck, especially in Coda is, um, is the ready and fight abilities. I think that that's really, really crucial because it, it, uh, when it comes to just the fighting keyword, like you, like you were saying, um, it feels bad whenever you just play a creature, have to wait another turn and then use it for its fight ability. But it feels so much better when you can play the creature, use it that turn with like a gauntlet of command or an anger, um, to get value and then build up this big Brobnar board state that you can just, use to reap 
they're big creatures and say, hey, uh, I'm just going to use these big uh, these big creatures. Just keep reading, reaping until you uh, until you deal with me. Yeah, for sure. I also really like the fact that there's so many good little ways to cheat around those play abilities and those fight abilities in Call of the Archons, like War Drummer allowing you to bring it back all of your playability Brobnar creatures and then throw them back down again on the board. So you get, you know, double stuns or double lose ambers. Uh, you know, the fact that you can then uh, combo up, as you mentioned, with things like Gauntlet of Command or Ganger Chieftain to sort of enable those kinds of fights and those fight abilities. It always felt very good to me in the Coda era. Blake, you have any thoughts about sort of just the, the combo nature of Brobnar and how good it felt in that time when Coda was the set that was out and we were all playing it? Yeah, totally. I mean, like, Loot the Bodies was a fantastic card because it encouraged fighting as well as still gained Ember. And I think I think that's what kind of got lost uh, and left behind in a way. And I love that. Like, when I look back at some of my, my Coda Brobnar decks, I'm like, Oh, this is so much fun. Like when you can have like a loot the bodies and as well on top of it have the um uh, blood money. Uh like those those together mm-hmm. are just are just such good good feel good combos and then top it off with something like a headhunter which is like gaining ember from fighting. It's encouraging you to fight to gain your ember. Like I feel like that is such a was such a great card to keep in the race of Keyforge but also keep the identity of fighting. And it's unfortunate that some aspects of that uh, were, I guess, that it must have been a design choice for some reason. I don't know why they move forward away from that, but I'm very curious to know why, because I thought that was like Headhunter was like the quintessential Brobnar card. I mean, they must have thought very highly of it. They literally made it the the cover art for the deck box for, for Keyforge mm-hmm. Call of the Archon. So, I mean, I thought it was strange to not move forward with that card in general. Because I, I like I said, I think that card is is like such a great card. I mean, you have gangers to trigger it right away. You have the um, the, the gauntlets of command, and then you have other things to combo with it, like loot the bodies or blood money. So you're putting mm-hmm. on a creep. There's so many ways you could do a cool burst uh, with that, and I, I just think it's interesting some of the decisions to move away from that aspect of it. Mm. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, before we sort of start talking about sort of the evolution of Brobnar from the set, Luke, I wanted to ask you, do you have any sort of like favorite Brobnar combos, favorite things you like to see in a Brobnar deck, especially a Coda Brobnar deck? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I'd i say some of my some of my favorite decks, um, I think that uh, the Brobnar artifacts are so good, you guys. They're so good. You've got Gauntlet of Command. Pile of Skulls is so versatile, especially mm. when you can use mm-hmm. that um, use that uh, artifact outside of the Brobner House. That's great. Um, one of my favorite decks, Iron Obelisk, is incredible. Um, it increases key cost based on damage Brobner creatures. And when you can combo that with like a Heavy the Huge to splash across your other Brobner guys, you even throw in a War Drummer in there to... War Drummer basically heals all of your Brobnar guys. I mean, that's what I just think so thematically goes with it is your your Brobnar guys are beating down these uh, beating down the board state. They take damage. You throw down a War Drummer, heals them, and then you throw them back down again, and then they're good as new. Like that's so great. So a few of my combos: Iron Obelisk with a bunch of creatures with Hebe the Huge. Um, uh, I'm a big Khalifi Dragon fan. I've got a great deck that has a Khalifi Dragon with two Smiths in it um so it really consistently gets the Khalifi dragon out um 
and that's just kind of an smith is another fun card thematically just it Mm -hmm. it rewards having a bigger board state um Mm -hmm. smith in uh like unguarded camp do you really get the value whenever you have more creatures on the board than your opponent um gauntlet of command is such a versatile card um and so it's really nice to use that with like a fire spitter um or something like that whenever you can just keep using that over and over and then everybody loves the loot the bodies coward's end combo (laughs) it's very true i'm also a big fan of loot the bodies plus champions challenge champions challenge is arguably my favorite coda brobnar card i just love the champions challenge I'm i'm a big fan of it moving along to aoa um i think you lose a lot in the transition from Coda to AOA, and it's not just in the specific cards that aren't reprinted. I feel like this is the beginning of Brobnar mediocrity, and that's not to say that they were super mediocre in AOA, although they certainly were not top tier. It's that we're starting to see um, the dilution of what made them really good in Coda, and I'll sort of tell you what I mean. Almost every Brobnar creature in Coda has a purpose. It does a very definable, useful thing. Um, there's amber control, there's uh, you know board control, there's everything else. And we're starting to see as we get into AOA that there's a lot of creatures that are just lackluster. Like they don't feel like they offer an awful lot to the game. Um, of course, the all-time worst Brobnar creature, Gargantus Scrapper, makes his first appearance here. Just a truly terrible <laughs> card in every way. But I think there was a lot of what we can chalk up that loss is they were throwing a lot of stuff at the wall to see what would stick. And there's a lot of things that I think were good ideas, but didn't necessarily end up being super impactful in AOA. And my big example of this would be the Grumpus Tamer and the War Grumpuses. Because on paper, those are great. And yet I have never felt like they've been actual game changers for me when I've played them in decks and had I got to interrupt you there. Oh, please. Because I, I literally was, it's funny that you're saying that because I was literally thinking those are like some of my favorite cards. Oh, I like them. I think they're cool. Because I've done my biggest Ember Burst uh-huh. is with them. Oh, explain, and, please. So um, it, it does require an out-of-house combo piece, but if you throw down a Dusk Witch and then you have a triple War Grumpus with a Grumpus Tamer, you can basically go to town and then you have a War Chest out and just start going nuts like i daisy chained a whole bunch of broader i gained 16 ember from playing that war grumpus and that in one turn because i because i had ways to just keep you know bouncing with the the grumpuses and getting the the grumpus tamer to ready things it was just insane like i was i was able to fight clear a board and then just do the reap so that's that's also a concept i'm sure you're going to touch on but Mm. that's where really you know the the whole like you fight till the, your opponent has no board and then suddenly you can do some crazy reap shenanigans was born. Which That's where Drummernaut comes in, baby. Mm-hmm. Luke, thoughts on Drummernaut? Yeah, I've never. Uh, I think it's cool. Um, I don't know if they necess- the the folks at Fantasy Flight necessarily um, intentionally made that combo, uh, or maybe they uh, they s- stumbled upon its existence after it was created. I don't know. Um, I think it's, what's interesting about it is, uh, that the drummer not creature is almost like a creature version of, uh, trying to take that line of what gauntlet of command did of ready and fight and that drummer not combo kind of turns that into a creature version in a, in a Mm -hmm. way. And I think that's one thing that's interesting about age of ascension. I think that how the sets progress, I think 
call the Archons probably would be the strongest of the of the three sets. And and I think what feels a little bit bad about Age of Ascension and in Into Worlds Collide is you lose some of those play abilities. Um, there's mm. a lot of play abilities in Call the Archons, like you've got Bumpsy, Lomir Flame Fist, He Be the Huge, Earthshaker, uh, War Drummer, a whole bunch of them. You do, and and what feels good about that is when you play a creature, they have an immediate impact on the board, and then you get to use them next turn, right? But in Age of Ascension, and then even in Worlds Collide, there's not as many play abilities. And so uh, sometimes it just is not as... Uh, doesn't feel as good whenever you play a bunch of Brobnar bros and then have to wait next turn to use them again. Right. Yeah. I absolutely a hundred percent agree with you on that. It's the fiddliness of Brobnar that I think becomes a huge problem as we get into worlds collide that idea of, well, this is a dead turn. I just played three Brobnar creatures onto the board and there's a strong possibility. I never even get to use them because a board white happens or something else that prevents me from fighting or something else. And it just, it's, it feels bad, man. That's the only way I can put it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, one one thing I found about AOA, which is kind of interesting, is like, if you look back now on what people are playing from AOA, there's there's like a very much like a handful of decks, and they're and they're actually archetypes of a deck that exists. Like one of them, of course, is a Genka deck. That is probably the the reigning champion of of like mm. what emerged from AOA. But like the next one that's kind of close behind are these interesting, and I saw them over the weekend in the Shadow Worlds, were these these AOA decks that are playing Grump Buggy with these the Ganger, the 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 drummer not combo. Mm-hmm. Uh, the drummer not ganger chieftain. And you're just seeing this emerge as like that's that's like a combo thing that people like that is one of the things that really stuck with people in AO was getting the the ganger not combo and getting to pull that off. Like, and then you you add the grump buggy factor to it. And it just becomes silly. Like it's it's really interesting to like see like what stuck and and what decks from Brobnar kind of persisted mm-hmm. after the fact. Cause a lot of people stopped playing certain things, but those decks still saw a lot of um time in the limelight. Yeah, absolutely. I think that you saw a ton of creatures that worked really, really well with uh, the uh the grump buggy. And the Grump Buggy decks are super, like, they make for grindy games, um, especially in certain matchups, but they're also a thing that's, like, it necessitates amber control. There are ways that you can work around it through board clearing and stuff like that. Like, it just adds a dimension to the game I really like. I'm really glad you brought it up because we wouldn't want to move on from AOA without talking about Grump Buggy. But I also really wanted to mention that I think that Might Makes Right is the one of the most underrated uh, key cheats in the entire game of Keyforge because... What it says is essentially sacrifice 25 power worth of creatures, which is not hard to do with an AOA Brobnar board, and you get a key. Love that card, plus a pip of amber for playing it. Always thought it was underrated. Doesn't always go off, but uh, it's never a dead draw because that pip of amber, hey? No, you're not wrong. (laughs) Also, um, uh, this will be, if anybody anywhere involved with Keyforge is listening, please, I beg of you, Bring back Bingo Bang Bang. When you bring back Brobnar, I want to see that guy again. I love Bingo Bang Bang. I thought he was a shoe-in to be just one of those cards that's always in print and made his sole appearance in AOA. I just think he's fantastic and really does, uh, especially, you know, sort of in the era of wards and uh, everything else, he would provide so much value. I agree. So moving on to WC, the much derided 
Brobnar of Worlds Collide. Man, we've we've talked about it on this podcast before. We've gone so far as to say that we're over it. We're done with it. We're tired of it. But I got to ask, Luke, yay or nay, Brobnar and Worlds Collide, how do you feel, good or bad? You know, in general, I'd probably say it. Uh, I I shed a little tear inside um, whenever I crack open a deck and I see the Brobnar uh, house symbol. Um, however, I will say I'm... I'm not as down on Brobnar as uh, as maybe some some folks are in Worlds Collide. I really think that you need the right composition of cards, and Brobnar and Worlds Collide can be really really great. Um, but I think on the uh, on the bell curve of good Brobnar decks, I think that uh, you find them few and far between in Worlds Collide as compared to the previous two sets. Yeah, hundred percent agreed. See, when I was analyzing all the the card pool, what I noticed was, and I think this is indicative of the problem, is that a lot of the commons that exist in in Brobnar and Worlds Collide are are like mediocre at best. I mean, it's I think it's easy to say that Berserker Slam is the best common in the Worlds Collide Brobnar. I mean, it's it's Ember Control, it's removal potentially. It it has so many great things. But if you look at everything else in the comment, I'm just like, oh, like that's slightly underwhelming. Like, why is that the case? And some of the cards that like, for example, um, I noticed that I think and I think you'll agree with this is to a degree, like the identity of Brobnar is chaos. That's part of their their identity is like they just like go balls to the wall and start fighting and doing like things that don't necessarily make sense. Like sac- like champions challenge, like you're sacrificing your own stuff. Um, then you have like cards in Worlds Collide where like you have power of fire where you're sacrificing your own creature and you're both losing ember. And then you have stuff like volcano, which is a double sided, like substantial amount of damage going on the board and you're getting chains. Um, and then lastly, and this is the one that I find really interesting is like Nogi smart fist, which mm. is causing you to draw two cards, but then you're randomly discarding two cards. So it's like, you could literally draw two cards and then discard them right away. It's just, it's just so interesting that it has that, that proposition to it and it's like it's it's a form of chaos then you have volcano or not volcano the big one as well which is another like really cool card but it's 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 literally chaos because you're not in control of what's happening there well you are to a degree but you know what i mean like it's it's not necessarily you who can truly dictate how that card will go off when it does like what are your thoughts on that luke yeah i think that's that's really well said i think that uh chaos fighting aggression all those are really key themes. And I think that, you know, as the sets of, of Brobner have progressed, it's gotten more and more of that chaotic nature. I mean, I think of uh, the cards like you mentioned, and like, I think the big one is such a skill testing card. Um, whenever you're, should I play it? Should I not? Depending on my opponent's uh, deck list, am I able to do it? I I think one thing that's so interesting when it comes to the just the fight keyword in general and why people and and how closely associated it is with House Brobnar and its house identity, if you were just to juxtapose fight next to the other keywords like reap and action, for example, I'd choose reap and action over fight nine times out of ten, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it just even, if you think about it, it's like fighting that keyword, that ability um it's it's you can only use it maybe once or twice right unless you're fighting like elusive creatures or if you think of like a, a headhunter right you may be able to fight kill one creature maybe you could get it off twice but it's it's really finite to the amount of the creature's power 
if you think of it that mm-hmm. way, is I can only yeah. use that fight, fight ability a certain amount of times based on the creature's power, whereas reaping and action, you can do that as many times as you want. Um, so I think that that's just that aggressive, chaotic uh, fighting ability in House Brobner, um, I think is uh, is interesting, maybe not necessarily a fan favorite. Um, it definitely has its purpose in the Crucible, if you will. But I think one of the one of the big downfalls of Worlds Collide specifically is it has a significantly less amount of ready and fight cards in the set that have an immediate impact. I think that that's probably one of its biggest flaws in Worlds Collide because it, it, it just feels bad to hold a barn raising in your hand, play a bunch of Brobnar guys, and then have to wait till next turn to then play the barn raising to get value out of it, right? Um, totally agree. Where, I really wish that Gauntlet of Command was in Worlds Collide. I think that would be a game changer for sure. Yeah, I mean, you're you're completely right about the the lack of being able to utilize fight. But if you look at even like the common slots, like the fight abilities that do exist, they're they're nothing really to like write home about for the most part, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And if you look at like the other houses that what they got in their common slots, like it's like is like is this a joke? Like why why was this overlooked? Like, I mean, some of the cards that are rare in Brobnar are amazing. Like, the Worlds Collide rare Brobnar mm-hmm. cards, like, there's some truly amazing cards there. And if you look at what they do, there's literally versions of that that exist in the other houses in, like, a common or uncommon slot. It's like, why would why is that the case? Like, what was the decision behind that? Like, I, I'm super confused by it, like, when I looked at everything more in a deep dive. Because, um, like, for example, like, Guji Dinosaur Hunter, right? That's a rare card, and I think that is a huge mistake because that card, if you'd put it just even one slot up into uncommon, because maybe uncommon uh, would have been too, a little bit too OP, but that card would have been so helpful within the context of what Brobnar wants to do with what's gonna you're gonna see happen within the game. Like they must have known that Star Alliance and and uh, Saurians are gonna be like a little bit more cream of the crop because you need something to balance that, and I feel like not having Guji. A little bit more easily accessible was kind of a mistake. So I think that's one of the cooler cards that exists within the Worlds Collide um, Brobnar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. Uh, I don't want to belabor this point because it's one I've made on previous episodes of the podcast, but oftentimes it feels like Brobnar overly penalizes you in ways that you don't get penalized for impactful things in other houses. Um, for example, like NARP almost feels like a slap in the face because NARP basically says, you know, its neighbors can't reap because it's a big creature and you're like man there are so many big creatures in so many other houses that have no drawback and in fact have additional powers that are super useful what is it about narp that means that you know you have to be punished for having narp right uh, mm-hmm. it's just one of those things that i've never been able to figure out and i suspect that it may have been a case of um there was a lot of designs and just the way that brobnar came together isn't the way they anticipated and maybe some changes happened at the play test level, like to either bring them down because they were too powerful or to swap some things out to some other houses or something like that, that caused them to become sort of this, this less good version of, of the house that we previously quite liked. Luke, do you have any thoughts on what you'd like to see when they bring back Brobnar, which I am very much hoping is a thing that happens in the future? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, it's interesting that you bring up, uh, I think, a NARP as an example. I think that, you know, just even kind of going back to the this thesis of Brobnar, um, I think NARP is like the epitome of um, what what they were trying to do 
with Brobnar in the sense of they want a big, aggressive creature that encourages fighting, right? And that's all about fighting. I mean, that is what NARP is, right? It's a giant creature, and hey, my neighbors can't reap. They have to fight. And so I really think that it's it's interesting as the sets have progressed. Um, I think I love Coda Brobnar, still one of my favorite houses in that set. And then since then, it's been such a refinement on that theme of fighting and aggression. I think in future sets, what I'd like to see is more versatility in that fighting. Um, I think they've played around with the enrage mechanic. I think it would be interesting to have more of that enrage mechanic, not necessarily enraging your own creatures, but enraging your opponent's creatures, um, encouraging them to fight into your big board. Um, they can't get the value out of reaping or using action keywords. Um, and I'd like to see that that uh, that enrage ability be able to be triggered on an action or a reap instead of uh, a fight keyword. Um, so I think enrage, that enrage mechanic would be interesting to explore in future sets. I'd like to see more like fight mechanics. Like there wasn't enough common cards that had good fight abilities, like that versatility of it. Because if you want to encourage that, that's fine, but make it have a, a benefit. Like like you said, there were a lot of play abilities that, from the original Brobnar, but you need to back it up, I think, with some fight abilities as well. And I think that having, like you said, more ways to encourage the fighting to happen instantaneously in some for another, mm-hmm. like there's no waiting is is crucial if you're going to bring that in and if brobnar's identity is fighting why wasn't there more fight abilities in worlds collide brobnar for me so Mm -hmm. i think i'd like to see like all the tools that the other houses have like i think the the best example is if you look at saurian and and star alliance they were given such a range of tools you could use from play fight and reap in many different ways or the exalt and you get all these cool effects it'd be cool if you if you harness that and just swap those those concepts over into a brobnar um, in something that made sense with Brobnar, like do those things, like maybe because I felt like a lot of Star Alliance got action cards on a stick in the form of their play fight reap abilities, mm. and it'd be cool if Brobnar got that. Maybe not even reap or play, but maybe like play fight abilities started to become a thing within Brobnar. So it happens when you play it, and then yeah. when you fight with it, it continues on. Like I think that would be cool because it just seems um, a little unfair that Star Alliance got such an amazing suite of repetitive effects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have a very simple thing that I would like to see for the future of Brobnar. Uh, give everybody assault. I think that yeah. assault on mm. every single Brobnar creature would be absolutely terrific. And it's something that I think would really go a ways towards sort of mending uh, a lot of their problems within the game. Uh, we cannot end an episode of Help from Future Self without the titular segment. This one's called Help, Help from, future, from self. future Self. Luke, you're our guest. Do you have a lesson or a piece of wisdom you would like to impart? A help from a future self to all the listeners out there. Yeah, sure. Um, one of the things that I've been thinking about uh, when it comes to competitive play um in some of my favorite decks, what I've been starting to do now, just with all this time in quarantine, with some of my favorite decks, I'm looking at what are its, what is my deck trying to do, and what are the cards that I'm looking for uh, that would stop my plan. What are the weaknesses of my deck? Um, and what's fun to do in that is uh, is to play almost like a competitive reversal game where I give my best deck to my buddy. Um, I watch them play it. 
since I know how the deck plays, I learn different combos through how they're playing the deck. And, and what's interesting, too, in uh, studying my own deck and looking at my opponent's Archon card is identifying, okay, if I'm playing a, a Hunting Witch deck that just generates a bunch of Amber, I need to look for too much to protect. I need to look for a Doorstep to Heaven. So I think what's, uh, what's really been helpful for me is to look at my favorite decks, identify the weaknesses, and then make a mental note of the cards that I need to look for specifically when I'm reading my opponent's Archon card to watch out for. Very good lesson. A good one That's to cool. keep in mind. Luke, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, you're a two-time guest, which is a rarefied, rarefied class of guest to be in. Would you join us for an episode in future sometime? I would love to. It'd be my pleasure. All right. Can you tell folks where they can find you online? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Logotarian Luke. Um, I'm on ma- all the major discords at Logotarian Luke as well. And uh, yeah, I'm uh, excited to play with you guys online and um, IRL in the future. Terrific. You can, of course, find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash HFFS podcast. You can find us on Twitter at the same handle, eight at HFFS podcast. You can find me at Scuzzy Gruen on Instagram, on Kip, on TCO, on Twitter. Just just keep forging it up. Uh, where can they find you, Blake? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter is the best place at BLVD Paper Fight. That's Boulevard Paper Fight. And I'm always open for people to reach out and start a conversation. So uh, please do. All right. That's been Brobnar Talk. I enjoyed it, but it hurt. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, stay safe.